Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! about uh, was kind of my, my faith journey a little bit, and uh, maybe like some of you, uh, I grew up going to church, I got baptized when I was in seventh grade, uh, kind of fell away in college and after uh, my wife and I got married, and uh, she came from a very strong spiritual background with her family, and, and we went to church, and we had kids, and we were good people. Generous people. We prayed with our kids at restaurants and before they went to bed. Um, but quite honestly, we really weren't living out of faith. And um, there was a, a moment, and probably every one of us in this room could either point to a person or a catalyst moment that made them start taking their faith more serious. And, and that moment for me was December 13, 2004, when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer. And for the first time in my life, um, I couldn't outthink, outwork, uh, go to a mentor, ask a peer, ask for help, and figure out how to get out of that situation. And uh, and I remember that day uh, so well, and my family and I remember that day. And it changed the trajectory of our family. Um, at that moment, um, we had to really come together uh, we had to learn how to ask for help, which is something very difficult for, for most men to do. And after I processed it for two or three days, um, I remember going down to the chapel at Seven West. At, then it was called Coast Air Children's Hospital. And I got on my knees and I literally uh, picked my daughter up and laid her at God's feet and said, your will be done. Um, and I meant it. Um, and I knew at that point I had to figure out uh, who this Jesus Christ cat was um, and what he meant to me in my life. And my family would tell you probably to this day that it's the worst thing that's ever happened to us um, when she got diagnosed. But I will also say that most of the time we're going to also tell you it's the best thing that's ever happened to us because it changed the trajectory of our family. Um, and what changed was we all started exploring what Jesus Christ meant to each of us and to our family. And uh, I say that because I remember uh, after she was diagnosed, uh, jumping into several Bible studies. The first one I did was the Randy Alcorn Heaven Study because I wanted to learn if, if she did pass away, where she was going and what that looked like. Um, but I remember after going to two or three different Bible studies, I kind of always walked away with an emptiness. I didn't understand what it was, so I'm sitting sitting in a church one morning, and there was a bullet. The bulletin was in front of me, and there was this thing called men's fraternity. It just sounded good to me because it talked about learning about more about Jesus, but also talked about this relational component. And not long ago, I was asked, um, "Why am I still here, man? Challenge? You know, that was, you know, now it's ten plus years. And because there's some people I've heard say that this is just for a season." And I'll just say for me, it's not just a season. You know, when I walk in on Thursday mornings, I've developed a lot of relationships in this room. And the thing I love is seeing all you guys. And not just seeing you guys, but talking to you, sitting down at my table, sharing our struggles, uh, learning how to, to love each other well. Um, and you know, one of the things that we talk about in this room is to, to take what we learn here outside these four walls. And I'm prayerful that that's what we do, that this isn't just a Thursday morning thing, that this is a, a week-long thing. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that, that when I answered that question was, why am I still here? It's because I'm, I'm selfish, I'm a man, right? 
um, but I get so much out of it. I learn a lot from the stage, but when I go sit with my dudes in that room after here, um, it just takes me and moves me forward. We're, we're all about progress, not perfection. We've talked about taking our next step of faith and what that means, um, and it's different for everybody, so I hope we all take it as serious because we're not here to sit in the same place we've always been. We are to move forward. That's what we're called to do. But that's why I'm still here. A lot of it has to do with you, but it's what I learned. You guys challenged me. You encouraged me, um, especially Chris. He's a great encourager to me. Um, uh, especially, it's funny. God has a great sense of humor. He always puts me up here after UK does something really bad. Um, I don't know why he always does that, but I congratulate uh, Tennessee for, for a big win and where they are. they got a huge game this week. It's going, to be, it's going to be awesome to watch Will Anderson, who I think is the best player in college football, chase one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Uh, as Chris says, Tennessee's back. It kind of seems like it because three of their players have already been arrested this season. <laughs> so I do feel like that. It's true. Um, but one of, the, one of the values at Man Challenge is to, to gain a heart to invest in others. And all of you men walk by people every day uh, that need you. And it's funny when I talk to people that have never, they learn about Man Challenge, they think, gosh, there's you know, three or 400 people here on Thursday mornings. And I think that's awesome. But then I also think how sad it is. Because I think of the men, how many men are in this church uh, that aren't here? Uh, how many men in our community that we walk by every day and are not intentional with that aren't here. And so my prayer is, is that we literally walk out of this room with bold faith um, and we learn how to talk to somebody about our faith. You know, they say witnessing, uh, if you do it like this and say you need this because you suck, is not good, right? But if you talk to whoever that person is about what Jesus Christ has meant to you and what he's done in your life and tell your story, it's going to be a lot more impactful. But we're not here to sit around these tables for year after year after year and have the same guy sit around the table. We're actually called to multiply um, and to expand and to bring people in here that, that you touch every day and we need to grow. Um, one of the things I love that, that Ronnie and his team do, they do this generosity uh, ch uh, challenge. and. Uh, it's coming up. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to happen. They're going to give us some money to seed uh, a generosity challenge. Uh, each table is going to be asked to raise some money. Um, but, but my prayer is that you do more than just raise money and give money. My prayer is that uh, you actually become the hands and feet of God and figure out how to go do something. Our table last year, uh, we, we, you know, it was, uh, we, we picked out a single mom. Uh, that was assigned to us. And we actually went to her home and we put up a, a fan and, and did a lot of work around her house. And it was just amazing to watch our guys come together and go serve in that capacity. So uh, not only do we want to do life together, uh, but we also want to uh, take what we learn out of here and go serve each uh, other people in the, the, in the community. Um, at this point, I'm going to bring uh, Sam out. Um, Sam Reeder is... Uh, one of the guys I met long ago in this capacity. Um, we were asked to go out to Shelbyville, and I think, was it, who? I can't remember who did it, but they were starting Man Challenge out in Shelbyville. Max. Yeah, Max in it. And I hadn't met Sam yet. Uh, it was early on, on the morning. We went out there and, and met Sam. And we, we sat in front of their group out in others, 20 guys or something, and kind of shared our story and what we were doing at Man Challenge. And, um, that kind of started our relationship, and I got to watch Sam uh, grow in his faith as a young man, um, and I will say that he probably has one of the most consistent faith walks that I've seen and witnessed, and I've been blessed to know him, um, and I'm excited for him to teach what God has prepared for him today. Uh, we got a few questions for you. Um, first, you know, Talk about your family. Um, sure. Uh, my wife Jessica and I just had our nine-year wedding anniversary. So next year will be a decade in. 
Thank you much. Thank you. Uh, we've got two boys. Eli is uh, four and a half. Noah is almost three. And they are into everything. I was telling Jay backstage, it's, we're in a really fun season. We're finally shooting basketballs on little tykes and building stuff and instantly smashing it and breaking everything they get their hands on. But uh, it's fun. Yeah. So how'd you meet your wife? Uh, we were both biology majors uh, at Bellarmine in undergrad and just kind of stayed in touch. I went off to pharmacy school. She was finishing up her degree and kind of reached out, ran medical school, pharmacy school, and that's kind of where we reconnected. Awesome. Um, you're a pharmacist, correct? I am. Yeah. So, you know, as men, if you were like me long ago, I, I kind of lived in silos, um, was afraid to take my faith into my workplace. Uh, encourage people in the room how you do that um, and just talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, it is awkward. It is awkward sharing your faith with your coworkers. Uh, there, I said this to a group of guys a couple weeks ago because it's true. Uh, for me, though, it's it's a relational thing. I, I don't try to go throw knowledge at somebody. We'll talk about that a little bit today, actually. Uh, but just building relationships with people right where you are and getting to know what their needs are and meeting them right where they are. Uh, to me, it's, it's not necessarily going in and sharing the things that excite me, but it's just listening for um, the pain and the hurt. Hey, your child just got diagnosed with something. And then taking that awkward step and saying, hey, can I pray with you? And it is incredibly awkward. It's almost like an out-of-body experience, at least for me. Uh, but the fruit of that is that then the next time a storm comes, I'm the guy they come to more often than not and say, hey, will, will you be praying for me? Are you got any thoughts on this? It's incredible the, the doors of opportunity that the Lord will open to just encourage and speak life into people if you'll just be willing to broach the subject, to take the step, and get out the boat. That's awesome. So, uh, ruffles or lays? Uh, ruffles. Um, crunchy peanut butter, creamy? Crunchy. I'm a yeah, texture sure. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Miracle Whip, mayo? Uh, mayo. Yeah, okay. Miracle Whip is creamy. Uh, emojis as grown men? Uh, we'll do some fist bump and some fire for some good godly stuff, but most of the emojis I like to send to you. Yeah. yeah. But so, but let me ask this: as a grown man, oh yeah, yeah. Um, should you use multiple emojis? Yeah. Well, it's like I said, Jay. It's meeting people where they are. So I mean, <laughs> if you're learning their language and speaking the language of the people, whatever it takes, you know. <laughs> I became all things to all people. Is what that, Paul makes, said, so, that makes sense. You know. Um, lastly, it's interesting. Uh, most Thursday mornings as we discuss around our table, we, we kind of get back to one topic. We, not long ago, we kind of were talking about how uh, there's some inconsistencies in our faith walk and maybe not hearing some promptings from God and things like that. And we, we always get down to, you know, if we did a true analysis this last week, how, how, how long, how much time have we actually spent with God during the week? And we added that up. Um, it might make sense sometimes why we don't hear that prompting. And I know uh, it's interesting. I always love asking people that um, I know have a very consistent faith walk. Uh, what does that look like for you? What does your, your time with God look like? How would you encourage somebody to start developing a consistent time with him on a daily basis? Sure. Um, I, I think it's awesome you all did that. In any season in my life where I feel like I'm disconnected from the Lord or things are just harder than they ought to be, if I do that audit almost every time, it's because I'm not prioritizing my time with him, for sure. Uh, but I would say on average, usually I get up around 5, because that's when little boys and my wife are asleep. And uh, I get about an hour to read, pray, journal, study, get on the treadmill, something, uh, and just spend time with him. When I do that faithfully and consistently with him, there is incredible fruit in that when I don't there's a different kind of fruit that shows up consistently. By nature, I'm not a patient person, uh, and I can get irritable and selfish, but when I spend time with the Lord, it re-centers me, reminds me of who I am and who I'm not, and uh, my family benefits from that. Everybody does. And What's your favorite hair product? Care product. Hair product. Hair product. Uh, I don't know, man. It, I, I don't, I, crew, I think it's called crew. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's awesome. It's bought for me, believe okay. it or not. Yeah. What's yours? 
<laughs> a razor. A razor. Let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, um, gosh, you are so good, and, and we are not. Um, and we're here to listen to what you prepared uh, to deliver us through Sam. Um, just asking that he relies upon uh, the promptings from you today. Uh, Lord, just ask that uh, we have ears to hear and a heart to, to understand. And, and Lord, that we walk at her boldly, uh, willing to take what we learn inside of here, outside to the community and serve the community. Uh, and that we have a lens of uh, not judgment, but a lens of love in Jesus. And just ask that you bless Sam today. I pray for all the men in this room, uh, that they just know you more today as they walk out of here. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Morning, guys. Uh, go ahead, if you will, open up to Second uh, Timothy. You know the drill. That's where we've been the past number of weeks, where we're going to continue to be. Uh, this week, we are going to finish up chapter 2, and that's going to put us halfway through the letter of Second Timothy, uh, which will also put us halfway through the semester, which is kind of wild. It's fine, I feel like. Um, last week, Grant talked through the preceding passage that was verses 14 through 21, and we talked about a number of things like the fact that the Word of God is powerful, and because it's powerful, we need to rightly handle it. We talked about making it straight and clear to those around us that we're conveying and teaching the truth of God's Word to. He talked about uh, that we repeat important things, that when something is of substance and of value, we tend to repeat it because we need to be reminded of it. And then we talked about word fights and staying out of those. And I, I remind you of those because a lot of those same themes and even phrases are going to carry into our passage today. And if you recall back two weeks ago, some of those showed up in Scott's and even before that and, and Chris's week. This whole chapter two has a lot of recurring themes through it. And for us, I think the tendency often is to hear something that you think, oh, I've heard that before, like I got this, and to zone out. But to remember the context here, Paul is writing this essentially on death row. And history tells us most likely chronologically this is the last letter he wrote. So the dude who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, this is his farewell address. And if there's a couple drums that he just seems to be just banging throughout the whole thing, they're probably important. So don't, don't fall to the temptation of checking out, but rather like lean in and say, okay, this must be a value, this must be of substance. One of my favorite uh, Bible teachers says that repetition is the mother of learning. That we repeat things, whether it's the ABCs, the Pledge of Allegiance, whatever, we repeat things to learn them. So as we get things that are repetitive today, we should pause and chew on it. We should, we should meditate on that word of God. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. If you're there, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2. Here we go. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed and hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. So this section opens with Paul giving a rather forceful command to his protege, Timothy. He says, flee evil desires of the youth. If you feel comfortable writing in your Bible, I would encourage you to circle the word flee, underline it. If you take notes, write flee. Like that word flee, Paul says, is this directional term that conveys this idea of escaping, run away from, get out of there. So regarding Timothy's evil desires of his youth, Paul says, get away from them. He doesn't say tiptoe around. He doesn't say try to be careful. He says, flee, haul butt, and get out of there. Flee evil desires of your youth. So your translation may say the lust of your youth, the passions of your youth, longings. Maybe like me, if you've ever heard this, this specific verse referenced, it's almost always been framed up in light of one specific sin. 
So if you hear the desires of your youth, the, the lust of your youth, our first thought is, what? Sex, right? That certainly is true in the Bible, that we are called to bring our sexual relations into conformity with the ways of God, for sure. Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee sexual immorality. Like, it's explicit. For sure, that is a biblical mandate. Flee sexual immorality. That said, I, I don't think that's exactly what Paul is challenging Timothy with in this passage. I'm going to make my case for this as we walk through, but again, keeping the bigger picture of chapter 2 in mind, that doesn't seem to be a drum that he's banging throughout this. Flee the evil desires of your youth. I think, most likely, what Paul is, is, is pointing towards with Timothy based on his age is that the propensity, the, the proclivity, the, the tendency of young folks to be argumentative. And that's not, that's not real flashy, that might not really sound like a big deal that, like, man, Timothy might fall into a scandal leading a church in Ephesus if he's argumentative. That doesn't really sound like that big of a deal really to us, I don't think. But as we walk through the text, we're going to see some of the fruit that that brings out when, some, when someone is argumentative. And uh, it's interesting that, like, Paul knows Timothy. Like, he, he knows him. He knows his blind spots. I think we're getting a glimpse into that, that he's encouraging him, hey, I know, I know how you are. He's already said earlier on, I know you're, you're kind of inclined to be a timid person, personality type-wise, but you're also young and, and kind of young people. There's a stereotype. They tend to be argumentative. I don't think I probably have to sell you guys on that point. If you hop on Twitter and look at how us millennials talk to each other and others, it's brutal. But Paul says to Timothy, flee evil desires of the youth and, next verse or next part of the verse, and pursue... Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So if you were writing your Bible, circle and, circle pursue. Or write down, flee and pursue. He doesn't say flee or pursue. He doesn't say flee, then pursue, sequentially. He says flee and pursue, simultaneously. So if you're headed in the wrong direction and Paul says, get away from that, as soon as you get away from that, you're heading towards righteousness, justice, Faith, trust, love, selflessness, peace, unity. This is the character of God. So whatever these evil desires of the youth are, we can simplify this to say, flee sin and run to God. That if you just run away from something, you need to also be running towards something else. And just stepping out of like the faith conversation, let's talk about smoking. Smoking cessation. Uh, most likely, if you're going to quit smoking, you're not just going to quit cold turkey. And I'm sure a number of hands could fly up saying, well, actually, that's not true for me. But if you're going to quit smoking, typically you say, I'm going to say no to that and I'm going to chew a piece of gum. I'm going to say no to that and I'm going to put a patch on my arm. I'm going to say no to that and I'm going to take a medicine to help with the cravings. It's usually you say no to something and you say yes to something else. It's flee and pursue. And it's interesting also to me that this isn't the first time Paul has said these things to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, so the first letter he writes to Timothy, he says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. He's repeating the same message to his protege, Timothy, over and over and over. Flee sin, pursue God, and catch what's the next part, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So do it in the context of the community. So people who are also trying to pursue God genuinely, you flee sin, you pursue God, and you do it with others. Again, stepping out of the faith conversation, like any AA group, any support group of any kind, like we know statistically, we really need encouragement. We need accountability. We need coaching. We need mentors. We call them sponsors sometimes. We need a communal setting. And just like realistically, that's the whole point of what we do here on Thursdays. Like 2 Timothy 2.22, that's the whole format for what we do on Thursdays. We collectively together in community of faith are trying to flee sin and pursue the ways of God. That'd be a great word to commit to memory, 2 Timothy 2.22. So Paul gives us this principle, flee and pursue, do it with others. And so if we can just like kind of think about how that lands for us this morning, to speak to the youth in the room, if 
I would say I fall into that category. If you age-wise are in the younger demographic of the room, or I would also say like regarding your faith, if you feel like you are a new Christian, like you, you might be a white-haired grandpa at a table and feel like you are a baby Christian. All the youth, I would, I would say what Paul is saying, like be aware, there's some real temptations, there's some real blind spots just based on being new. But also, simultaneously, Paul's going to encourage Timothy in chapter 4 of this letter. He's going to say, don't let anybody discourage you because of your youth. But Timothy, you set the example in faith and love and purity. Like, you set the example. So, if you come in here and you feel like, man, I shouldn't talk yet. Man, these guys have been doing this for years. Jay Dorch has been here since it had a different name. Like, who am I I to tell him something? No, I mean, if, if the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the grave dwells in you, then come in here and share your heart and be authentic and be vulnerable. Like, that's, that's the real deal. No, you've got blind spots, but be authentic. Like, you set the example. And to the older guys in the room, like, are, are, we, are we looking like Paul? And again, older being age or in your walk? Like, are we looking for a young protege for us to coach up and encourage and bring along, to speak life to, to bang that drum of important things and remind him and model the way? Like, that, that is what we are called to do. If we're gleaning wisdom just from this first verse, I feel like it is so rich for us to get out of that. So, moving into verse 23, it's like we had this principle we're given, and now it, it almost moves into, like, a specific application. Paul says... Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. So the first time I read foolish, stupid arguments, I think about this guy uh, who goes by the name of Ken M., last initial M. Uh, maybe five or six years ago, a coworker of mine introduced me to this gentleman. Uh, and I don't condone everything he does, but this was uh, back before being an online troll was really a popular thing. And if you're not familiar with trolling, basically you get online and you just set traps to lure people into verbal altercations uh, for entertainment purposes, typically. Uh, And so I'm going to share a couple examples of these. So uh, Ken would find an online article that was published and he would put a comment on it to kind of bait some people in. Uh, And so on this article, eight alarming unhealthy snacks for kids, Ken comments, grandson used to eat snossages until we found out they were loaded with corn syrup and sodium. Always check the back label. And Donna comments, I thought sausages were dog treats. And Hawk says, sausages are dog treats. Uh, the next one, uh, NASA puts up this. There's this article, NASA releases an out-of-this-world GoPro spacewalk, to which Ken says, space has been around for hundreds of years, but scientists still don't know much about it. And so, of course, Eric jumps in. Pretty sure space has been around since the beginning of time, Ken. Only hundreds of years? Ken says, well, I I meant to say hundreds of space years. Uh, Okay, what's a space year? And he says, 365 days. Let's look at the next one. Uh, Drone helps mission to fuel, uh, to ship fuel to Alaska. And Ken says, instead of blowing people up, this little guy decided to be a helper. Hopefully other drones will follow the example set by this plucky little hero. And then uh, someone says, humans control the drones, you idiot. Uh, One more, one more, and then we'll move on. Uh, Article about potatoes for seriously satisfying spuds. Try these vitamin-rich reds. Ken says, also, you get more vitamins if you eat the shell. And a person says, it's called the skin. Potatoes have skins. And Ken says, technically a shell, because potatoes are in the peanut family. Uh, no, Ken, you need to stop smoking whatever you're on there, buddy. And Ken says, well, how come potato is Latin for king of the peanuts? So, like, I know, those are absurd. Uh, but we love this stuff, right? Like, we, we both love to be the person who baits somebody in and, like, watch this. I'm going to get them all worked up. We love to set the trap. Also, like, we fall for the trap all the time. Because we love to pounce on and correct somebody. As soon as they say something wrong, we love to correct them. Something about that stuff is just so enticing to us. And Paul says, flee foolish, stupid arguments. Is he thinking about these Ken M posts? I, I don't think so. To be honest with you guys, I, I don't honestly know exactly which arguments he has in mind. Like specifically, what's the topic? Like, throughout the letters to Timothy, he uses different words like controversies, myths, 
debates over genealogies, speculations. There's all kinds of tough conversations going on in Ephesus and elsewhere. And just to be kind of practical about it, this is a faith that Paul and Timothy are helping spread. This is a faith that was predominantly, almost exclusively, for ethnic Jews that now suddenly has opened up seemingly to everybody. And so the Jews have a lot of these like uh, just lifestyle things that are so different from others. They, they eat certain things and don't eat other certain things. They celebrate certain holidays that other people have never heard of. They're circumcised. Like, what bearing does that have on this people group over here? Are they supposed to do those things or are they not? And if they're not, are they supposed to still keep doing them? Like, how does that play out? What, who, who decides that? Or just like, you know, the Jews say, hey, we, we are monotheists. We believe there is one God. We're not polytheists. Like the Romans, we don't have different idols all over the place. It's one God. And Paul walks in and says, Jesus is God in the flesh. I'm like, well, how? So is that two gods? How's that one? And they say that he died on the cross for your sins to, to right you before God. And it's like, so is he, he's God and he died? How, how do you kill God? And there's all these theological questions and debates some of which are very important to have, some of which are very tricky and the water is muddy. And Timothy's having to navigate all of this. And Paul is saying, there's some arguments that are foolish and stupid. You should stay away from those. Well, how do you, how do you discern which ones they are? Well, I think the hint is the next part of verse 23. He says, because you know they produce quarrels. Look at the fruit. That word produce is like begets. It births. It gives labor, gives birth to quarrels, strife, contention, division. So Paul says there's some arguments that don't lead to anything good. All they bring about are division and confusion and strife. Look at the fruit of it, and that's how you discern which ones are the foolish, stupid arguments. James, another New Testament author, he says in James chapter 1, verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire... There's that word, desire, longing, passion, lusts. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So it is this idea that it is producing death. So whatever the topic is, and I, last week Grant, Grant mentioned in his passage, there was two guys going around saying that the resurrection had already happened. So that was at least one example of what those arguments might have looked like. I don't fully know, to be honest. So does that let us off the hook? Like, well, we don't know what they were talking about, so this doesn't apply to us today, you know? I think that's a temptation. But instead, I think Paul is saying, look at what those arguments produce. And whatever the argument is, whatever the situation is, the principle is timeless. We are to flee sin and pursue God and do it with others. And so then moving into the next verse, it's almost like Paul's like, okay, let's take this principle and let's work this out. And so verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Yours may say patient and suffering, may say forbearing. Verse 25, opponents must be gently instructed. Let's pause right there. There's some key words, you know, we circled flee and pursue. There's some key words I want you to catch here. We must be kind to everyone. We must be patient in suffering. Correct your opponents with gentleness. If you look back up to verse 22, what are we pursuing? Righteousness, faith, love, peace. What does that stuff sound like to you guys? Faith, love, peace, gentleness, patience, kindness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul writes to another church in a different city. He writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. There's those words again. Since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, baiting, dividing, arguing, and envying one another. It's the same sermon. And it bears repeating. Whether you're in Galatia or in Ephesus or in Louisville. It's the same sermon. And it's beautiful to me when the Word of God is just so 
harmonious and so consistent in its message, whatever book you go to, like flee sin and pursue God. And he gives us this picture of fruit, and Paul tends to do this over and over and over in his letters. He almost uses the fruit, I think, as like a litmus test. So Jay mentioned that I'm a pharmacist, so I do some compounding sometimes. If you've ever taken a chemistry class, you may have used this little device called litmus paper. So if you're batching up a solution, whatever it is, and you want to figure out where on the pH scale it is, whether it's acidic or basic, whether it's like lemon juice or those chalky tablets you chew up when you have heartburn, wherever on the scale it is, you just take a little piece of paper and you dip it. And it changes color. And if it's red, it's acidic. If it's blue, it's basic. It's real straightforward. And it's almost like Paul gives us the fruit as this litmus test, as this device for us to use in our lives that we, we can regularly evaluate any and every situation based on what it's producing. And I would even say not just the situation but ourselves. So there's conversations that when I go into it, if I am not living out the fruit of the Spirit, if I am not going and being gentle, if I'm not being self-controlled, if I'm not being patient, I probably shouldn't be in the conversation. Even if it's a healthy debate that needs to happen, if I'm not exhibiting the image of Christ, I probably shouldn't be in that. I should probably flee from that situation. And then kind of the flip side of that is like, even if I am being self-controlled in how I go in, I need to, I need to discern that argument, that work opportunity, that gathering after work, that website, that substance, whatever it is, I need to discern, what, what is that going to produce? Is that going to produce things that look like the character of God, or is it not? Because if it's not, I need to flee from it and pursue something that does. It's a very simple principle if we'll just live it out. So it's these, these fruit of the Spirit, am I, am I exhibiting it and, and this situation, is it going to produce it? So verse, if we finish out verse 25, we had just read, opponents must be gently instructed. And it says, in hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So Paul says, correct your opponents with gentleness. Catch that. He doesn't say, as Christians, you're never allowed to get into a tough discussion. Not at all. He's told Timothy, be able to teach. Know your stuff. But correct your opponents with gentleness. First Peter says the same thing. A, di a different New Testament author. He says, always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. There is a way, as Christians, we are called to step in. There is a, a, a right way, a right method, a right time. And Paul is telling Timothy, have some self-control in how you do this. Gentleness is really just strength under control. That's, that's the picture I think of when I hear the word gentleness. And so, uh, if, you, if you look at Peter, or James, or Paul, they're all saying the same thing. And, and, and there's a, uh, a famous pastor, famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon says, uh, at one of his, one of his college um, speeches, he said, Don't go around the world with your fist doubled up looking for a fight, carrying a theological revolver in the leg of your trousers. Like, it's great if you know your Bible, but don't go around looking for a fight, ready to just blast somebody off their feet because you're smart and you've got a lot of quick things to say. Spurgeon goes on to say, Be prepared to fight and always have your sword buckled on your thigh, but wear a scabbard, wear a sheath. So he says, don't go around waving your sword, looking for a fight, looking to show people how good you can cut them. Be prepared. Know how to use the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, but keep it in the sheath. Wait for the right moment to draw your sword. We should be self-controlled. This is the model, Timothy, for how you are to step into those tough conversations, those tough situations. Um, if I'm honest, I don't have a problem giving instruction. I have a problem receiving instruction. Whether that's at home or at work, I, d I don't like to be corrected. Maybe some of you can relate to that. It doesn't feel good. Uh, I was in a meeting once um, here at church, and this has happened actually, if I'm honest, a number of times, that when I, the meeting didn't go quite the way I thought it should, the conversation didn't go the way I had envisioned it would, the, the, the information that was given was not the information I specifically was looking for, I felt kind of dejected, and when I'm like that, I kind of tend to withdraw and get quiet and pull back, 
And afterwards, one of my brothers called me very quickly and just kind of let me blow off steam. Hey, man, how'd you think that went? And just let me kind of go. And then he said, hey, um, as a brother who's a little bit older, just a little bit further down the path, can I, can I just tell you like how your body language read to the men in that room? Can I tell you like just the tone that you used, how that makes dudes feel who worked really hard on what they presented? And he was really gentle with me. And I know him well enough to know that gentleness is not something he just drums up himself. And, and, and when something, when correction is brought in the spirit of gentleness, at least for me, I'm a lot more inclined to receive it. And so that brother really loved me well. And again, that's why we do this with one another, with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. Like we need to know that the men at our table so that we can read between the lines and we can speak life into them and know when to draw the sword and when not. We have to be known by each other. We have to, to love each other well enough to spend the time to get to know them. Uh, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle word turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Real simple. Real simple. Kyle mentioned it when he did a series on Fruit of the Spirit. And we were streaming it from home at the time. And he said, of all the fruit of the Spirit, you know which one guys tend to struggle the most with? And I leaned over to Jess and I was like, oh, gentleness. And he was like, gentleness. Because that's me. For sure. If we are going to live this out, it literally takes the Spirit of God working through us to do this. Like that, that's what it is. So it's about surrendering him to let him do this. So we flee sin, we pursue God, we do this one with one another. And then going into verse 26, this is where it gets kind of weird. Uh, and they will come to their senses, they may, and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So if we are gentle in our approach of what might happen, God might grant them repentance. He might. He might. Doesn't say he will. Doesn't say he's required to. We don't twist God's arm into doing anything. He's God. But Paul says to Timothy, hey, these are the ways of God, and if we will live that way, he may grant them repentance. If you ever heard anything on repentance, uh, it's usually described as doing a 180. It's in a different direction. So, right, we were saying that our, our fleshly desires, our urges, our longings, take us towards sin. Things that we need not do. Paul says, flee, get away from that, and pursue God. That pivot point where you change directions, that's called repentance. The point at which I'm aware that I'm running after the wrong thing, and I consciously turn and I run towards the things of God, that's called repentance. And Paul says, even that, even that is a gift from God. Repentance is a gift. It's not a guarantee. And so if we, if we exhibit gentleness in our correcting, if we're kind to everyone, if we're able to teach what we believe, he may grant repentance and lead to a knowledge of the truth of him. And maybe they'll come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who's taken them to do his bidding. This is where it gets weird because um, there's like this supernatural element seemingly to everything. And we usually don't like to talk to that because it's weird. But like literally our whole faith is built on this premise that everything has a very natural element and a very supernatural element. Like this, this letter that we're reading, Terrence did a great job, I think it was week two, saying like this is a real letter written from a real person to a real person at a real time about real things. Like it is very natural. Dude wrote a letter to a dude. Simultaneously, we believe the Spirit of God inspired Paul as he wrote this. And that God preserved this word and has given it to us, the church, as a revelation of who he is. That we would come to a saving knowledge of his son Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. And that as, as we open this letter, it is very much a real natural thing and a supernatural thing. Jesus. We believe Jesus was born into a very real body. And his body completely died on the cross and was buried in a tomb. It is very real and natural. Simultaneously, we believe he is God in the flesh. Supernatural. Like our whole faith is this idea of natural, supernatural. So Paul brings up the supernatural element and says, you know, if you do these things, God may grant repentance. And maybe, maybe they'll come to their senses and maybe they'll escape the trap, the snares of the enemy. 
Because just like those Ken M jokes, there's, there's these snares set up for us everywhere that we go, these traps. That if we're not paying attention, if we're not on our guard, if we're not being alert, if we're not aware, and we step right into them. We run into those a lot of times. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this kind of whole idea. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age, so again, he's talking about the enemy. Again, this is to a different church who needed to hear the same thing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So Paul says, we are, we are born blind, like our default. We are born blind, running a million miles an hour in the wrong direction all the time. And it is a gift of God when he opens our eyes to see his glory shining through the face of Christ, the image of God. And that when we come to a knowledge of him, we can escape the, the snare, the trap that is meant to keep us blind. This is why I think so often Jesus would, would, would talk to the people in front of him and would say, you have eyes to see and you can't see. They would quote scriptures at him that were about him and they didn't know him standing right in front of them. They were blind, spiritually blind. There's that supernatural element. And Paul is reminding Timothy, man, your eyes have been open, bro. I know that situation is frustrating. I know that environment is hostile. I know that's not a lot of fun and it's discouraging. But guess what? Your eyes are open and theirs aren't. So live like a man whose eyes are open. And maybe, maybe God will grant repentance. Maybe God will open their eyes. That's the Christian life. That's what we're called to. We don't have eyes to see unless God opens them and that repentance is a gift from God. It's not a guarantee. So look, we've been building this combat manual. That's what, that's what these deals say on the front. We've been building this combat manual for a number of weeks now. So if, if this week's chapter is men of the word, then here's, here's our three marching orders I feel like we should glean from this section. Number one, I've said this 50 times today. <laughs> Number one, flee sin, pursue God, and do it with others. It's not super complicated, but it's worth repeating over and over and over. Flee sin, pursue God, do it with others. And again, just the, just the fact that like when we turn away from evil, sinful, lustful desires, passions, whatever, if we don't run to Him directly, our nature is just to run after something else that's dumb, something else that's going to kill us, something else that's going to harm us, something else that's going to ruin my marriage, that's going to destroy my life. We, we create a vacuum. If we don't run towards something else, we just create a vacuum. And our nature is to fill it with evil things. So we flee sin and pursue God. And that 180 is repentance. Secondly, correct opponents with gentleness. That's just the way of Jesus. And it is not something, at least for me, that I can do of my own willpower. The more I white-knuckle something, the less and less gentleness seeps out of me. I'm not filled with it. But Jesus says in Matthew 11, he describes him, his own self, his own nature, as being gentle and lowly. And that's our Lord. That's our commanding officer. And he just calls us simply to live the way that he does. He doesn't tell us to do something other than what he does. And he doesn't just tell us to do it by our own willpower. He gives us the very spirit that rose him from the grave. It's in the heart of the believers. And so what we need to live this out is within us if we are in Christ. So correct opponents with gentleness. And finally, this is our third marching order, hope for repentance. It's a gift. It's not a guarantee. But we live this out and we hope that God will use it and bring others, even, even us, as he sanctifies us, to regular repentance. Because it's not about winning arguments. It's about saving souls to the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, important things that are worth repeating. And thank you that we have the opportunity to just do that together as a family, as a, as a room full of brothers 
who are actively trying to flee sin, to pursue you, and to do it alongside one another. Uh, Father, as we, as we go to table time today, as we go to turn to discuss and unpack, God, I know that there are men in this room who are running after the wrong things. Spirit, would you bring conviction and courage? Would you grant a gift of repentance, God, that we would turn from those things, that we would confess our sins one to another in order that we would be healed? Would you, would you use the men at the tables on the left and right to encourage, to speak life in, to walk alongside, that we would be a community of faith that looks like the bride that you have called us to be? God, would you help us to desire right things? Would you sanctify? Would you make our urges, our longings, our passions, would you make them holy? Would you help us not to desire evil things, but to desire ways, knowing that your ways are best? Would you help us to be patient in suffering? Would you help us to do what we need to do to learn what we need to learn in order that we would be able to teach? Spirit, would you help us to be kind, whether it's stepping into a tough situation at work, whether it's stepping into a debate, there's about to be a lot of those next month, whether we're, we're stepping into a, a job opportunity or a sticky situation at home, God, would you help us to be marked by gentleness and kindness? Would you help us to look like your son, Jesus? And God, in all these things, would you help us to not only hope for our own repentance and regular sanctification, but would you help us also to desire the repentance of those who don't know you? Would you help us not to be apathetic and not wipe our hands and not say, well, it's going down the chute, you know? Would you help us to have a longing and a heart for the lost like you do, King Jesus? Would you help us to long to leave the 99 for the one like you do, Jesus? We ask these things in your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.